When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You only get tested maybe this level once in four years, you know what I mean? You've got a balls to kick them. So England in possession. Not much of the ball. And they it away again. Toby Flood. Don't sink! This is not soccer. This is not soccer. Because in either game, life or rugby, the margin for error is so small. Welcome again to an Examiner Sport podcast special. And the second part of our exclusive chat with Munster Rugby's now-retired first CEO, Garrett Fitzgerald. Part one finished on the financial imperatives, or not, of European success. But before there was a Heineken Cup, Munster were making world headlines with their victories over touring sides, including 1992 in Cork against the Wallabies, when Garrett Fitzgerald was head coach. In this segment, we discuss Munster's best and not-so-good signings, the reputed disconnect with the clubs in Munster in the professional era, the controversial Gerbrand Grobler signing and the tragic loss of a Munster legend in Axel Foley. Here's part two and thank you for tuning in. We'd appreciate your constructive comments. What were you like as a head coach the day in 1992 when you beat the Wallabies in Musgrave Park? I mean, as I said earlier, I remember interviewing... Bob Dwyer afterwards, and he was not happy with Munster. But can you remember that day? Can you remember how you managed that day? I can remember it really. I remember like going to, for me, as an individual who had never played for Munster, to be given an opportunity to coach Munster was a huge honour. That wasn't my first year doing it. I did it previous years, and we'd been reasonably successful to coach against the touring side with the reputation that Munster had against touring sides. There was an expectation of a performance. Mm. Um, there was, uh, I remember, it's kind of an intimidating atmosphere that you're playing against the side who had won the World Cup or with Bob Dwyer and you're coming along, he's your opposite number. You're sitting in the timber seats in the stand in Musgrave Park. You don't know whether they're going to fall down or whether they're going to break under or what's going to happen. And um, as I said, to a certain extent, it's nearly bicycle clip country, you know. You're <laughs> fucking wondering what's going to happen. Um, where, like, are you going to lose 43 nil? Yeah, Is exactly. that the thing you're worried like, about? Yeah. I, we, with the assistance of a lot of other people and things like that, we had studied, we'd studied Australia on all their European tour. Mm. And we were did, doing a huge amount of video analysis with the help of Stephen Abood, who was working for the IRFU at the time. And we had spent two months studying Australia to see how we could beat them. Right, and the first the first conclusion we came to now, if we try and play rugby against them, we'd definitely lose, right? Or if we base it totally on rugby, yeah. So in the team selection, we picked we picked the team to dominate their pack. The fellas, there was fellas got picked that day. Never thought they get picked for Munster, but uh, the team was picked that way, um, and we tried to mix it with the football brain and the physical physical side of the game, and luckily enough for us, worked. Um, it was. 
Bob Dwyer obviously knew Peter Clahassi from his time when Peter played in Australia when he was suspended in Europe. Right. And um, the fact that we got a push See, over. there's a whole generation now of people who will listen to this guy won't even know that. Yeah, well, Peter had got suspended for, uh, I think, an incident at an Ireland-France game, if I'm correct. And uh, what he was allowed playing the Southern Hemisphere, if I'm correct. And he went and he played for Queensland, I think. Right. Where he played rugby in Australia for a bit of Bob And um, like Peter was technically as good as any prop there was around. He was a tough, hard man for, a, for who was a small man physically. Uh, I was afraid of nothing and I listened to that. And in the front row with him that day was Terry Kingston and uh, Paul McCarthy. Mm-hmm. And um, so we managed to dominate him a bit up front. David Nusifora was captain that day for Australia playing hooker. Correct. And um, so like our, our motto for the day was don't let them play. That was it. If we let them play, we're goosed. Mm. And take our chances when they came. And we had a lot of very good players like Brian Walsh and Jack Clark and Philip Danaher. And different people like that. Channing Charlie Halley was full back. Mm. And uh, Dan Larkin was playing, started out half. And Dan was a very underrated rugby player, a great rugby brain. A man ahead of his time, really. He actually, I think Dan was the one fellow who told me, he said, you're off your head. He said, we have, if we play the way you want to play, we have no chance. But he was probably right, but mm. it worked out. <laughs> it worked out. <laughs> but um, it was a very intimidating day. Like I was still only young, young as a coach then and dealing at that level, which was a big step up for Mm. up for me at that time and I remember Bob Dwyer shouting and roaring in the stand shouting at Clausey and he was one of them taken off the field and one of them sent off mm. and I think the post-match dinner was in the old Jury's Hotel in the Western Road at that stage and I even shook hands with him and he told me he didn't want to talk he said look he said I'm too mad I can't talk to you I'll talk to you later and all that was that. This was even that nice he had yeah but he was on. very nice about but, but he said this shouldn't have happened you know he reckoned that we had Roughed them up over beyond uh, the limits of the law. Boot, bite, bollock, yeah. as you say. Yeah. But uh, no, we had a lot of good players playing that way. We just played that day. But it was, it, it was look, it, for Munster to beat a touring side, it was a continuation of a tradition that was there. Mm. We did a lot of very good players. They didn't have all their first team playing, but it was a huge achievement for us and everything else like that. And I could say we probably enjoyed it for a few days after it. Yeah. Things yeah. like that, you know, but... Mick Galway was sent off that day with one of their right. locks. I can't remember the fellow's name if you said it, but they were all different things that happened in it. And Jim Galvin came on as a sub at another time to see drop the goal to win it in the yeah, end. Yeah, that's correct. Famous name. Off one of their lineouts. I think they've been crone and robbed. If I'm correct, I think. Um, I'm right in thinking... What year was it, Gareth, that you beat Australia? I remember actually, I was out of the country, I watched it. It was a horrible night in Thoman Park. Is that around 2012? Do you remember that game? I do. That Played was appalling, yeah. Appalling rain. Um, I remember there was a guy sitting on the bench for Australia that night who shall be nameless that we were having contract negotiations with. Right. I, I met him in the, afterwards and downstairs. He said, forget it, mate. Not fucking here. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> God, my head is really bad and I know that there was a second row that day played for Munster Nagel who I thought was really good. to the match that. yeah I thought he was going to go on and be and I mean it just goes to show it doesn't for you know we talk again about individual. it doesn't always work out no same in a lot of sports doesn't always work out what year was it there I'm actually just even looking at the notes in it here it was 2012 it was yeah. 15-6 2012 yeah. yeah that was an appalling night yeah. it was no one 
no one enjoyed that night on the pitch, you know, but no. it was still a result, you know. It was, exactly. And just bef- while we're just on the whole subject of success, you describe beautifully there the whole, you know, scene around 2006. Like, how, how much of a different emotion was it then winning it two years later again against Toulouse? I mean, in the same stadium. But was it a, can you remember that occasion, Gareth? Do you remember the aftermath? Was it a very different a kind of a, well, it was well, it more. Was, I think it was one of the things when I got into the game and I was kind of new to it and there wasn't anyone else to bounce things off. Of, you're always looking for people that you set your markers against, you know, and Toulouse was a club that was at the top of things in Europe at that stage. And in fairness to Toulouse, they were always open to conversations or listening or asking them their opinions on things. And you meet some of them through European rugby and we had exchanged a few thoughts and ideas. And I think we'd build up a bit of respect with Toulouse. So Toulouse, to me, not at this stage as much, but I used to refer to Toulouse as the Real Madrid of rugby. Yeah, and they were. uh, They were, you know, so... When I look at 2000 and that, and um, I think it was in 2016, is it? I think Rob Penny was coach. We played him in a quarter final mm. in Thoman Park. And we beat them by, I wrote the score down there somewhere. We beat, I don't know, we, we beat them by good, but then Axel was the forwards coach. And when I look at the results we get, got against Toulouse and in that final, that said to me, you know, we're as good as Toulouse, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. Whereas when I started out in the job, you were saying, oh my God, do we have to play Toulouse, you know, mm, yeah. that sort of thing. But we'd reached a different category, and different height in people's opinions. So in the final, I suppose, having experienced one final and having experienced how you dealt with it and everything else like that, I think we were much more professional around it. Mm. But I think we were calmer, we were much calmer as well about it. Players were better about it. They knew their opposition better as well. Year, a couple of years later, and all that, yeah. and all that helps, you know. But um, it's still a final. You still have to win it. You know, it isn't about your reputation won't win anything for you. No, no. And just going. Th- I mean, I'm just going. You know, you mentioned about yourself, <coughs> but even you talk about Declan. You talk about what Alan Gaffney brought. You you talk about what Tony McGahan brought. Even Rob Penny. I presume, and even right up to Razzie and Johan van Graan, I'm presuming that Munster has benefited. Of course, they've benefited for their CV, but you've been there, Gar, and I presume Munster have benefited enormously from their input. And their legacy has surely been something that you've actually been able to use for the betterment of Munster. Is that waffly or is that fact? No, I think we've, we've first of all, we've benefited from having international coaches involved um, like any work contractual situation there'll be times where there'll be agreements and disagreements but that's what I said where respect in the workplace comes in but um, our reputation abroad I think has benefited from all their inputs and what mm. the, the input they're giving having left Munster and gone elsewhere um, they would have been hugely influential in players coming to Munster who would know them from previous coaching experience who would ring up and say, what's this place like to go to? Yeah. That's been a huge benefit to us. Um, second of all, they've helped, in rec- they've helped in recruiting players that we have that are good players. Mm. You know, having that contact, having coached them before, knowing it was younger players. Well, can I just stop you there? Because one of the things that has always impressed me about the province is, is Munster's ability... Certainly since 2000, to punch above its weight, if that's not too derogatory a term, in terms of the, the players that you've brought in. Now, I accept a lot of them were names, 
But do you think, looking back, that the likes of Williams and Langford were almost the forerunners to those, like, and what they brought to Munster and what they started? Yeah, I think it was. It was a, it was a new process for everyone in Munster at that stage to be bringing in overseas players. Mm. Um, John Langford was an exceptional individual again. We come back to it. Outside of his ability, he wasn't a top, top-class international lock. Mm. But he was a top, top-class individual with a great knowledge of the game and what you needed to be. The amount of the standards he set for fellas when he came was part of the reason why they were successful years later. Yeah. He said, you know, he set a standard that wasn't there beforehand. There was one other individual came in before him as well. Oh, I can't remember. He played with Shannon. He played in the centres. I'm terrible on name. I might think of it in a minute. You know, people like them. Jim Williams came a bit later and Jim had been successful and played with Australia yeah. and it was known to people here because the rugby was getting a bit more coverage and had been seen to play. And they all brought they all brought something to the table in different ways and set different standards for people and they were they were special people who added to the group that were already here, you know. But like in terms of unearthing gems, because like let's face it, your Christian Collins and your Dougie Howlitz are established international names, and it's great to get them. Mm. But when you look back in terms of, you know, was Langford one of those gems that you unearthed that actually became a lot more valuable, not just to Munster, but in terms of their philosophy going forward? Were there others? Well, the thing is with John Langford, I think he came in partly as well to play with Shannon through a connection that Brian O'Brien had in in Australia. Mm. And then he tipped over to the other side and something similar happened with Jason Holland. Jason came in to play with Middleton right. at the time and that's how he ended up being called up to train with Munster and how he ended up playing with Munster. Mm. Um, Pucciarello is the guy I remember. Yeah, Federico was an exceptional guy. You know, he's, uh, he played with Bourgoin mm. in France. But he was a character, you know. He was he he was he was a guy who could play anywhere in the three positions in the front row. Um, he was certainly an entertaining character. Still, a, he's a very successful businessman at home. Yes, presently. Um, Trevor Halstead is another Halstead, name that yeah. from South Africa. Yes, Trevor Trevor played in the final and scored. Did he score a try in that two thousand and six final? Yeah, Trevor Halstead. Like when you look at fellas like um, Lifeimi Maffey. Yeah, played in some of those finals. Lifeem, he was a guy who came in through a connection with who was our academy manager at the time, Hamish Adams, who mm. came to Ireland initially to coach Dolph, no, to play with Dolph. No, with Athletics Ireland. No, with Athletics Ireland and all that. And Hamish, he was from Hamish's home area. That's how he came in. Uh, I remember the first day he arrived as a young fellow. His girlfriend came with him. We were looking for an apartment. I remember saying to the person, I don't know what school we're going to put her into. Like, they just were so young. Yeah. They were just so young. There were kids, innocent kids who came. He was a huge asset, you know. He wasn't a top-class international player, mm. but he achieved a huge amount with Munster and he brought something to Munster that Munster fellas didn't have in stepping and feet and things like that, mm. you know. There's lots of fellas like that. And there's, just for every one of those, Gar, there's there's a few pluggers. There must have been ones like every club. I There's presume every club gets them. Gets everyone does at every level. If you're going to get your recruit, if you're going to get seven out of ten in your recruitment, you'll get a star off your teacher on your forehead, you know, mm. because it, you're you're good. But it's you have a much better chance of getting it right now because of analysis and because of the amount of coverage that's available on everyone. Yes, there was a time at the start where there was some um, blind. 
you were going on a telephone call from someone. Well, that's what I was thinking. Oh, yeah, going way back at the start. And um, you will have people like that. And I remember recruiting someone that came through a second-hand contact to come in to play with us. And he was meant, this individual was meant to be um, Christian Collins' backup with Wellington. And he had played with Wellington, but he came, he came and played with us, but he was, we just got caught. Full stop. Yes. I remember having a walk around the pitch with the fella telling him that he was booked on a flight and just leaving at four o'clock tomorrow. And there you are. Good luck. We'll see you. I'll collect you tomorrow and take you to the airport. Because how long, if, how long had he been in for? I said, it's not working out for us and it's not working out for you. So the best thing we can do is agree. No. Yeah. And he did. And everyone was happy. Did you find that any bit difficult? That kind of that side of the job? Not really. You're Would a hard, you? you're a hard bastard. Well, you just have to be, if you're telling the truth all the time, you can't go too far wrong, you know? And So is it a kind of a tap on the shoulder? And this oh, well, you'll get a bit of that. That's, that's making a story out of it, you know? But the person themselves know. They know themselves. Yeah. They can't walk in amongst their peers if they're not delivering on a Saturday at some level or on Tuesday training. Because when you hear conversations in pubs and who was Munster's worst ever training... I have a name in my head. I wouldn't libel the man by saying it, but without naming one, do you have one in your head? And how bad actually did you get it wrong? You're pushing the boat a bit there now. You're just trying to make a name for yourself there, isn't it? Yeah. The, um... That name. I ever wrote it down. <laughs> you have to put your glasses on to see yeah. it. How bad was he? Yeah, we did recruit him. I know you did. Yeah. And... And uh, I would say not in any way as bad as portrayed by some people who use it as a source of a joke. Right. And anyway, but you're in in the early days, you were basing it on a phone call. You didn't have anything from NPC rugby in New Zealand. You had no other, none of the provincial stuff. No video. You're, no video. You're nothing coming. So someone you'd be ringing, talking to someone, talking to someone. They say, okay, we'll take a chance. And then if you get an agent who was persuasive and they said you something that it doesn't look a bit what it looks like. It can happen and does it happen. It happens in football. You know, you ask United about Sanchez, you know. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it's human beings we're dealing with. They, they live and work in different cultures with different people. Some people it works out for other people it doesn't. Some people become inhibited by the changes in their whole cultural movement and everything else. So you're, you're definitely, do we get stuff wrong? Yes. Mm. Will it be got wrong in the future? I would say yes, but to a much lesser extent because of the knowledge you now have of players and you can see them six days a week on television if you want to. Mm. The only downside of this interview, <clears throat> and this is not an interview, sorry, this chat, uh, not going out live is the fact that I could say to you right now that Munster have just signed Damien Dialende, the South African centre, and and played I think nearly every minute of every game. Hugely impressive, and it's just been confirmed that Munster have signed him. Now, obviously, this will be going out a week later, but you'd think to yourself, in terms of signings, that's as close to banker as you can get. Yeah, well, he was he's he's a player that going back a couple of years ago we looked at really and things like that, and you always have fellas like that. Well. There's not an awful lot of um, guys making top-class names for themselves as centres, you know? 
mm. and things like that. And he's an impressive guy. He probably he's a big, strong, impressive guy. He's just, he's just won a World Cup medal. Certainly a guy who would have been on the radar going back over the time. In recent times, I haven't been involved in anything like that, but I'm obviously Johan knows him exceptionally well and he would know all those players as people and as individuals mm. which is important before their playing playing ability mm. and um, I suppose like a lot of the South Africans as well you have you know just in the pure economics of it you have mm. a better chance of landing a South African than you do top class New Zealand, or, New Zealand some, or. or something like that it doesn't mean there's any difference in, in capabilities between them or anything like that yeah but um that's great news for Munster if they have or if they've just done that and signed but I know that they were looking at a couple of positions and everything Tell me going back and again we're on the subject of signings can you talk now about any of the ones that almost happened but Munster just you just didn't quite get over the line and there would have been obviously marquee good signings great signings for Munster great signings for the player but for one reason or another didn't happen there's a lot of them fall into that category, but be quite straight. There's none of them coming straight to mind on them. There's one or two people that would have fallen into that category that are still playing that I wouldn't talk about. To be fair to everyone side on it, right? Um, but you were but looking. I at... know there would always be a number of them at different levels you go through and things like that. And with the advent of major private investors in France, and with the adverse of people coming back into England, just some of those you just didn't compete, you couldn't compete with. Yes. But a lot of the players, you get some players who don't want to go to France because of the language issue. Mm. You know, you you'd have, hope, Garrett, that you might have some players that are thinking, I'm not going to do this just for the money. This is a lifestyle choice. Yeah, you get someone doing that. A lot of the Australians wouldn't want to come to Ireland weather-wise. And I'm not from Australia, and some of the times I wouldn't be coming here for the weather either. Yeah. But um, so you know, because but it's not just the player; it's their indiv- it's their partners and their families. The, the player is busy all day and they're doing things, but it's very difficult for. So the the climate and language are an influence where some players would opt not to go because of that. Mm. You mentioned there about coming to, as you say, the cities here and partners living here and there, which leads me on to that very um, delicate political issue of Cork and Limerick. It's one that obviously I've kind of been keeping, I suppose, something of an eye on over the last 15, 20 years. Obviously, Munster made the decision and they had to make a decision ultimately, Garrett, you know, to go one or the other. How difficult a decision was that and how injurious in any way has it been to unity in the province? If you're referring to it about the training centre and all that, it, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, the, that decision, that decision was driven by, like we, we laid out um, the requirements we were looking for in the training centre and we spoke to a, a number of third level institutes who could have provided the facilities mm-hmm. and were interested in providing because we couldn't have done it ourselves. We couldn't have done it ourselves. We needed to do it on a, on a partnership basis. A partnership or a fifteen year payment basis or lease oh. basis with people. And we spoke to four to five different institutes who were interested in partaking it. We had time frames. We had requirements and different things we were looking for and they were all open to doing it. Mm. Open to doing it. But when it came to giving an answer when they could deliver it or if they'd be able to deliver it. UL delivered and the others weren't able to deliver 
to the same extent mm. or in the same time frame. And it was a decision that was driven by the availability of what we were looking for. Mm. Um, given the fact that we had been working in conjunction with the University of Limerick for, uh, on other aspects of the game, and an association we'd have had with Dave Mahidi, who was head of the whole fitness thing, that was a help. Uh, the most important thing is UL were really welcoming and wanted us to be there and did everything they could to help us to be there um, in a in a what would I say in a voluntary in a voluntary way. Um, if we had ended up with any of the other partners, I think it would have worked. It would have worked the same because we would have seen even it even if they were in Cork. Oh yeah, that, the Cork limiting wasn't an issue. It was a it was a matter of where we could get what we wanted. If it ended up in Killarney, so be it. You know, it was never a Cork Limerick issue. Well, it, it, no, with respect, no, Garrett, it would be to people in Cork. No, that oh, went to Limerick. Oh, it is, yeah, but you'll always get people. Like, I'd go, I could go for a pint tonight on the way home, and meet people talking about. They think they're totally informed, and they haven't a clue what they're talking about. <laughs> and they'll tell you about someone they met who told them who never heard anything. You know, yeah. and this still goes on today. And unfortunately, through social media, people believe everything they read or see, and ninety percent of it is uninformed. Mm. So honestly, there was no decision. That decision. The other thing to remember is when you're in professional sport in with Munster, it doesn't matter where you train. It does makes no difference whether you train in Limerick, Tipperary, or Clanmel or Killarney. So you play on Saturdays on the matters. That's true. So we would have trained in Cork. We would have trained in Limerick. We would have trained in Mallow. We would have trained in Yall. We would, but no one knew any of that. But suddenly all, they all became experts when they decided that a decision was taken. Well, it's ownership, isn't it, though? I mean, it's ownership of the team. And, you know, we've already spoken about how there was this bond between the support because they felt, you know, there was an ownership of what Munster was about. And I suppose people in Cork felt, well, you know, our team has actually almost been uprooted and taken away from us. And if it was the other way around, I'm pretty sure the Limerick people... But most of them be... probably didn't know where the team were training before they decided on that. No, that's... Yeah. So it was it it never became an issue. It wasn't an issue with management, with players, or with anything. Of course, when you make a decision like that, it becomes uh, a, a, what would I say an, a point of discussion. Mm. It has greatly helped the performance of our people. It has settled the thing. It's driven higher standards. So, but that could have happened in Limerick or Cork or elsewhere. I don't. I don't I, for the people involved in the organisation, for the players, it was never anything like it was for other people. And in fairness to you, over the years I've known you, you've always been really good and helpful, and I mean that genuinely in terms of clarifying stuff. Because yeah. we'd hear this stuff, and I'd no. ring you, and I'd say, Garrett, is this true? No. And I ask you no, because what you hear as well is, oh, well, there are players in the academy now, and they've been told, you have to live in Limerick. Is that true? Cork players going into the no, academy, the first, you have to move to Limerick. Yeah, well, the thing is, if, if, if um, that would be the same in any academy... So any fella from when Tyg Furlong was from New Ross, mm. he didn't even ask where he had to live or anything else like that. He was so glad to get an offer to be in the academy, he probably ran up without his suitcase. To, right? to Dublin. To Dublin. Yeah. And that's what would happen in any normal circumstance. You would gravitate to the centre of excellence and it's unlikely there'd be more than one. So whether it is Gordon Darcy who ran up from Wexford or some fella Felix Jones who went in from somewhere else that came down... That's the normal thing to do. So for a player to have the best possible chance to progress in their career, if they're deemed to be a person of future promise at international level, the best thing you could do is make their 
education and their development as a player as easy as possible for them. So you do that by making everything as comfortable for them in their in their education institute and the least travel and what they have to do so they can do their education and their training together. So the normal circumstances, this I'm not going to but what would normally happen is you would normally tell the player this is the in your best interest that you play at the highest level of the game to challenge you every week and that you make your training and your education as easy as possible for you and a huge emphasis would have been put on making sure that they had their education in in check and that it would be checked out regularly with them mm. but so if if my son was in the academy in the morning I would expect him to do that and to give himself the best possible chance he would be better off then at the highest level and based where the centre of excellence so that would mean moving to UL and studying in UL and yeah. living in Limerick but the fella um, Tony the point I'm making is that would be normal for any university student yeah right that's what you do if you're living in Kilkenny Watford what do you do you move to UCD Trinity UCC UL isn't any different that's okay. what you do I know but in fairness Gareth like if I'm in UCC and I'm a talent and there are a lot of rugby talents in UCC, but I'm in UCC, and the Munster Academy wants me. My point is, do I have to then transfer to UL or no, move if you to do, Limerick? If you, if you do your research, you will see that there's a load of guys in UCC have gone through the academy in the last couple of years, or are currently in the academy, and everything has been done to help them by providing them with overnight accommodation in Limerick and helping them to do everything they can. Oh, really? And if people don't realise... The number of people who are in UCC who are in the academy and have been for the last number of years and will be in the future right. based on population and based on the fact that some of the courses they want to do are not available in UL or they might want to do them, you know, that sort of mm. thing. So mm. Some courses just don't do. But I think the key issue here is that if, if, you, if you want to be a stockbroker, you give yourself every chance to be the best stockbroker you're going to be. Mm. If you want to be a rugby player, you give yourself the best chance. But we have loads of guys who travel, who are accommodated overnight. Everything has been done to accommodate them to make sure they get the best opportunity. What what way they choose to avail of those opportunities will probably ultimately affect their how their career develops. Talk to me a little bit about, I was going to say, the connection between the clubs and the province, but it's almost become a disconnection now. And I'm not saying this is specific to Munster, but the club game, again, from my limited rugby knowledge, the club game in Munster always seems to be almost integral to the fabric of rugby in the province. Would you accept that? No, I know things have changed. Do you fear at all with the growing disconnect between the club and the province that it will become a detrimental factor going forward for Munster Rugby? First of all, I don't agree with you that there's a growing disconnect between the province. I'd say it's closer in Munster than it is in any of the other provinces. Okay. Um, it's a natural thing when you get a professional team that are being dictated to by television and different things that you play at certain times and certain days and certain places. It's going to um, leave the clubs without certain players on certain weekends and things like that. There's going to be clashes of fixtures. Um the professional game board in Munster for a number of years I was involved in it and no longer involved in it but John Kelly is currently chairman of it would be huge supporters along with the along with the team management of the guys playing as often for the club as they can Um, in the last 18 months I've seen a lot of division 1A football and some at division 2 level the level of rugby being played in the what's it called now the energy All-Ireland League yeah 
is, in my opinion, higher than it has been for a long time. The quality of football, I frequently go down the Mardike to see UCC play in their Division 1A. I've gone to Temple Hill. I've gone to um, Gary Owen twice last year. I've gone to see games. I saw an average of about 12 or 13 Division 1A B games last year, and I couldn't only speak highly and praise the clubs and the, the level of rugby being played. Um, I think that there's bound to be a... Pro- there's bound to be some disconnection given that you're running two levels of rugby at totally different levels that are dictated by one is the club community thing yeah. where they feel that their best players have been taken off them. Sure. And that's a completely natural thing. That that's, happens in other codes. That happens in other codes. Mm. Um, I think that'll, all, that'll always be a bit of a perception or a bit of that. But I, I, I think there's a good connect between... Like, the connection only has to be really between the first team and the team management. There's no, you won't get connection through committees and different things like that. So, like Niall O'Donovan is a guy who's who is the team manager has been involved with Shannon and at club level he fully understands that he, himself along with the academy manager Peter Malone, who played at all levels and played for Munster and coached and everything with Gary Owen. And co- he fully understands all of that itself. Of course, there are challenging issues. When the academy medical fella says, I don't want this fella to play, and the club fella says, I, doctor says, I think he's fine. Mm, and at the end of the day, but if he's under contract to the IRFU and Munster, Munster make the call, he's their employee. Yeah, so, yeah it, I But get it, that. it is, I think, I think there's a, there's a good connection between the top clubs. The club's playing, whether you like it or not, in the sense of the club's playing down along the line who don't have any players involved with Munster, mm. I'd say they find there's a way bigger disconnect because there's no connect there. But you have the clubs at Division 1A, 1B, 2A that have players playing up along. There's a good enough connection. There's a good connection. And I think that they'll be disappointed at times the players aren't available to them. But that's, mm. look, that's that's what you do and that's what happens in professional sport. Um, Munster need to keep a connection with the clubs all the time. That's where most of the younger players are coming from. There's a much wider spread of people coming out of places like Waterford. We have a lot, as you said, there's a lot of guys out of West Cork, fellas out of Bentry and things like that. And uh, Munster need all of that mm. because the population base is so small and there's so many people being sucked up into the greater Dublin area. Mm. It's a huge challenge for you talk, I, I mentioned the fabric, Munster fabric, and I, funny, I was actually just looking last night at pictures going back to that 92 game I mentioned against um, <coughs> Australia. You change the crest as well, you know, the stag, uh, the what used to be the three crown. What mm. was the, like, I mean, obviously there was a commercial reality at play there, but, I mean, for someone who's died in the wool Munster as yourself, like, why did you want to just change the, the, the bear, the three cr- crests? Well, there was two reasons, really. One one is we needed something that was unique to Munster Rugby. The crest that we use is a generic crest across all... It, it's uh, it's not a sports crest, mm. really. It's just a crest that represented, if you go way back in history, of the three crowns regarding, I think, the three kings that were in Cashel or something in that area. That's itself. Right. So we needed something that was unique to the to Munster Rugby itself. And second of all, from... to. Pro- to protect the commercial perspective of what was going on, we had to register something to prevent people abusing the situation and making their own jerseys. Okay. Um, that was a particular project that I took on myself with Claire Cook in the office, and it was something that took a long time. There was a lot of research went into it. We got a lot of help from people all over the province, got a lot of help from people 
unearthing the whole history side of it through the history department in Trinity College. And eventually, after many, many different, um, I suppose, productions, we ended up with something that everyone accepted. It was uh, a difficult concept for the traditionalists to, to accept initially, but mm. they didn't really understand the history of the other crest. When they suddenly had it sold properly to them, they realised the benefit of it. Yeah. it. It worked out really well, and it's something I think now that's accepted as the norm. Mm. No, no, fair enough. I swore after we did one of these Larry Tompkins ones that we wouldn't run over. I said it was going to be an hour. Would you believe, Garrett, we're an hour and a half talking? Okay. And I'm not done. What are we talking about for this next hour and a half? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's th- I've only a couple more things I, w- I wanted to ask you about. Um, there's been loads of controversies. You've always dealt with controversy, in fairness, in a very, I would say, even kind of a way... The Grobler signing blew up in the last year or two. It, and I think, in fairness, even our own, like Donald Lenehan, who was, as you know, died, died in the wool monster, even came out and said, said in our own paper, look, it was a bad decision. It shouldn't have happened. Would you accept no? Or do you, would you stand defiant and say that the guy was wronged? Um, well, I say a lot of the people that said it was a bad decision said it was a bad decision. It's very easy to say it's a bad decision, but it's all over. Sure. Right? That's the first thing. Um, the second thing is the recruitment that went on around that, from my memory, and I'm just talking in a personal capacity, and I was the CEO at the time, but it, was, it wasn't any different than any other previous recruitment, in that you looked at the CV, you looked at the individual, you checked up on all the different things that had happened or not happened beforehand and to see we you getting the best possible candidate. We needed a lock at that stage. Um, Rassi knew him exceptionally well, had worked with him previously. Um, he had openly admitted what he'd done himself and didn't ever try to defend the thing itself. He had a PD rap when he was younger, just for people. Is who it? Well, I'm, yeah, I'm just yeah. saying, yeah, that's yeah. what it was, wasn't yeah. it, yeah? And... Um, we met him and spoke to him and everything else like that. I think he had come when when his suspension was up. He 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 came and played with Racing mm. at the end of that year. And um, obviously we had a connection on Racing. Uh, no, but just to know about the individual, as you would to get a, to yeah. get a be- reference, not a rugby reference on him. And uh, we were aware of it. And um, just like anyone, if you're sent to prison and you do your sentence, it doesn't mean you should be prevented from like he did he did his punishment for mm. what world rugby authorities deemed to be the appropriate punishment at the mm. time so the decision at the time was was he the best person to fill the position that was that was available mm. and that was based on that was based on what his recruitment was about um i 100% like obviously no one is in favour of anyone taking substances they shouldn't be and I wouldn't be now in the future or in the past or I wouldn't support anyone we would have had people in the past who did things that were wrong that they got punished for mm-hmm. and you have to accept those as well and I think it'll happen in the future um, he was I found him an exceptional young man um, the whole escapade obviously has influenced his life I would think and the way it affected him when it when he came to Ireland, I think it was in August, the previous August, it was written up, it was flagged about the difficulty he had, about the sentence that he had that he had um, been imposed on him, how he'd served it, how he'd openly admitted he made a mistake, and he was wrong and all that. He did all of that. And then when it came from about the play, 
the um, it broke out in the media again, and people all had different opinions on it. Um, I think the less said about that, the better, really. I have my own opinions on certain things that were said, and I have absolutely no issue with people having very strong opinions on it. Um, but I have, you know, I think as individ- it's how you say them and the way you say them, I think, are hugely important mm. in people's lives. Um, all I can say about him is that he was an exceptional young man. It, the whole in escapade that I saw, or the whole the way it followed up, had a huge influence on his life and affected him in a major way. Uh, we were glad to be able to help him through that thing itself, along with his family who came to Ireland on a couple of occasions. So, um, would you have done any different? Like you know, you'd say to yourself, surely, if you're recruiting someone in the future. The best thing you could do with that comes up is avoid all that hassle anyway for the sake of your brand and your supporters and everything else like that. So yeah. look, when, when you make a decision, you do at the time what you think is the right thing to do, having done your research, spoken the references, done all the thing. At the end of the day, we're employing a rugby player to do a job and all that. And I, as I think he was a very good rugby player. Mm. I think he would have... He, he, if he stayed on in Ireland, I think he could have played for Ireland as just, just taking his rugby ability. Yeah. But I think the whole thing has had a, quite an effect on him as an individual and his career. And uh, I've met him once or twice since since he moved to play in um, Gloucester. Gloucester. And uh, so, look. He must have been quite bitter, Garrett, about his experience, though, here, because it got quite intense for a bit. He wasn't bitter. He wasn't. He was. Uh, he was a. He it, he was disappointed that it up, that upset his rugby development. I would say yeah. he wasn't the type of fella to get bitter about things. I mean, uh, the only thing I would certainly concur with you on is like hindsight is a great selector, as we say. Like, totally. And I mean, you. Uh, but I mean, at some stage, ye obviously sat down to discuss. Okay, will we sign this guy? He's a very good lock. And then someone in the room had to have said, "Well, you know, no, totally. by the way, we do have the thing about his history here." Yeah. And you were able to say, "Well, you know what." He's moved on. We all make mistakes. Would that have been a sense of what you were at? And that's what you do in any situation. And you check not just with him, with anyone else. You have to check out all the references, all the different things. Mm. You check out their their disciplinary records, see if there have been issues previously. That's what you would do anyway and what you'd be expected to do. And then you make a decision and you support each other on it. So I think what you're saying is you misjudge the reaction. I mean, is the reaction that came out a reflection on... It's not just Irish media, it's Irish society now where it's, you know, if you make a mistake now, you're... Well, I think the mediums of communication give people that are now available, give uninformed people an opportunity to say things that's best to say things they're not informed about. Mm -hmm. That's what I would say. Yeah. But as you say, would you accept, I suppose it's wrong, it's wrong of me to say it was a mistake because, you know, or maybe it isn't wrong of me. I mean, can I ask, was it a mistake? Or but how do you, how do you, like, in that circumstance, how do you, how do you, um, what's your definition of a mistake in that situation? Well, thinking of Munster. Was it a, was it a mistake? you saying, was it a mistake that he wasn't a good enough rugby player? No, I'm not saying that. I know that. I know he was a good enough rugby player. I suppose, I mean, again, I suppose it's what, and I remember what Lenehan wrote afterwards, I suppose, that was, like, I think, was it Mon- was it Lenehan said it or was it somebody else spoke about monster values, whatever that means or whatever that me- meant? I mean, did it compromise monster values? No. Everything was done correctly. Pre- 
people are at, at the centre of everything, the right people, caring for people, doing the right things for people. Yeah. Um, whether it was a mistake or not, that's for each person to decide themselves. Mm. But the thing was handled as professionally and as caring as it would be for any other employee of the organisation. You were CEO for 19 years? 19 years, yeah, about 19 years. 19 and a half. What is the biggest disappointment? And it doesn't have to be a match. It can be something that you thought was an opportunity missed, something that if it was the road not travelled, and you can look at it now in a way, you know, in the rearview mirror, what would you change? I would say that loss to Leinster in 2009. Because I think our team was better than the team that had won previously. Right. And it's uh, it's uh, that happens, you know. England feel the same way today after yeah. last Saturday, you know. You've just, but I think our team was better. But on the day, Leinster got it right and fair juice to him. And the first to be first to congratulate him. Mm. But I think that. And it changed the direction. It changed the, the direction. Didn't I it? think that was a game we could have won. But look, you're talking here about human beings. You're not talking about machines, you know. So, and, but that was, I, I felt that if we won that, we could have won another. Yeah. You know, that was a, that was a disappointment. But look, there's many others at lower levels and things like that as well that happened. You know, you could go back to interprovincials, you could go back to different things. But um, that probably would have given more continuity and given a, a, driven it on to another level again. Mm. But, you know, these things happen. And yet we spoke about, you know, the grobbler and we spoke about match disappointments, Garrett. But I'm, I, I'm, I don't even have to presume I know that... The 16th of October, 2016, was, I presume, sorry, why do I, am I even saying presume, was the worst day of your time with Munster Rugby in a Paris hotel? Yeah, well, it's certainly something you don't plan for. And even at the last minute or anything you don't, it all happened so fast. It was, uh, you know, the way you, when you're in a job and you keep thinking, when you've time that I would be a natural thinker, you're thinking about things, how am I going to handle this if it happens? How am I going to handle this if it happens? What if something falls out the back door of the bus? And what happens if something, how are we going to, how are we going to handle this, you know? Mm. But you never think of something like that. Um, <clears throat> it was, uh, it was, it was just like getting a shock wave that stayed with you for about 10 days, really. You know, you, you just, and you just had to deal with things within the shock wave you were in. Uh, I suppose the things that stick out to me about that day is about being said to me that, that Axel hadn't turned up, hadn't turned up for what they were doing, and that Tyg was gone, the doc was gone to see him and all that, and then it was confirmed what the position was, and then ringing Raj just to say to him what had happened, and he said, you know what he said? He said to me, he said, Gareth's too late to the match now to be taking the piss out of people." He said, "You know," he said, "What's what's what he on what he on about?" You know that, yeah. and but and he still he mentions two hours to the match, was it? Yeah, said, two yeah, or three yeah. hours, and he still mentions that himself. I've heard him mention so. That was just something you can never plan for or never know what to do and you've just got to deal with it on your feet at the time it happens. Who told you, Gareth? Because I know you were obviously one of the first. I think just Niall O'Donovan. You know, Niall, o- Niall O'Donovan. I think your George Murray was worth, yeah. Yeah. That was the first, you know. So it was just a surreal situation that you can't plan for. Uh, you've just got to get yourself together when it happens and see what are the priorities about what you do. So the immediate things you think of, you think of family, right? What well, we've got to do with family. 
and he's, his dad was in Paris on the same day it happened and all that, you know. And then you've got to make sure that it's handled properly, that the wrong message doesn't get out and all that. So I suppose Fiona Murphy had a lot to do with that. Fiona was there at the time, but how you handle it. But it's... I still think about it like it's a situation you can never plan for. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny. I know exactly where I was, and I was out of the country myself on the same day, and I remember getting a text mm. on that Sunday morning, and I thought to myself, you know, no, no, that's that's no, yeah. that's that's something. That's a message that's got garbled. Yeah, and I presume it must have even the reality of it. I mean, literally, must have been so difficult to actually compute, even though you're right there in the hotel. You just can't compute it. You're just suddenly saying you're suddenly getting together with people you know closely and saying, "What do we need to do? What do we need to do?" You can't, you know, and you're walking past people in the foyer of the hotel who don't know. Because you can't tell any people because the word gets out everywhere. And your face is drained. That, that like sort of thing, you know. But look, at the end of the day, it's all about... It wasn't about us, it was about his, about his family and how it was handled. Luckily enough, the kind of messages got transferred before it got uh, diverted elsewhere. Mm. But uh, it just flummoxed everyone for a week, really, you know. And, and if you remember in the same week, and it was only... And I met Declan for a coffee Declan Kidney for a coffee um, a couple of weeks afterwards because as I said I had been out of the country his wife Anne had passed in I would say only about less than a week I'd say Garrett before that I can't remember the yeah, day I, yeah but I remember him saying him being in Killaloo at the funeral mm. and it was so surreal I remember him saying to me like the people were coming up actually con- you know offering their condolences to Declan and he was actually there thinking like I wonder, do they know? Are they offering me condolences for Anne? Or is this actually for Axel? I mean, the whole thing around it, and I mean, Olive, with her dignity, you know, I always, things stick in my head and how she spoke in the church, like, and I mean, as a Munster rugby family, and we've been talking all along about values and everything like that, looking back now, do you think that Munster rugby um, did well of itself and did well by itself in how it handled such a desperate situation. I think so. I think uh, that particular event, a lot of things happened naturally. People did the right thing because of how they saw the whole organisation and how they saw the value and the people in it. And it was amazing the things that happened that were the right things to happen that people didn't even have to discuss. Mm-hmm. I think that demonstrated that particular day what Munster was about and the people that were about it and the supporters and everything else like that. And whether it was the involvement of their own club, his own club, Shannon, from people from Killaloo, people from everywhere and anywhere where people came from, from all sides of the world, like people came from Australia, New Zealand, America, everywhere. I suppose to finish up, that kind of demonstrates really what Munster is about. Absolutely. I remember a picture which stands in my mind, was taken by, I think, I know it was one of the Infor Sports File lads, of Alan Gaffney just walking up the street on his own in Mm. Killaloo, and you say to yourself, like, this guy has actually got on a plane and come from Australia for Anthony yeah, Foley. Yeah. It was incredible stuff, like. It, it, I mean, it was a great day in terms of values. It was a dreadful day. Let's finish on a high, or let's finish on good stuff. You've had many, many good years. It's been, an, an, I mean, genuinely, Gareth, it's, re- it's been a roller coaster, but it's been a fantastic sign because you have overseen the transformation of monster from you know an amateur situation into this as you say world rugby superpower and i know you're going to say well it's it's been a, a hundred and a thousand other people doing it 
what's the nicest and best thing that you leave after you in terms of the betterment of Munster Rugby? I would like to think it's the people in in the organisation and the people that that uh, support the organisation. You know, it's just grand to say all the things I did or achieved. I didn't do any of those without the help of a whole lot of other people, mm. whether it's coaches, staff, volunteers, different things like that. They, you you just can't do. It isn't as if you do all the things on your own. But what you do is you try and get people to work together. So, for me the people and the community and the local connection is what I like to see that, that I think we've developed that we've got to leave behind and is what Munster need in the future to be successful. The guy living down the road in Clanmail or in Bantry or in Kilorglan, they need to see their young fella playing in the Heineken Cup final or in the Pro 14 final. Mm. You know, That's still what keeps the team together, mm. what keeps the province together. And I'm sure that's very evident in All Ireland finals when the fella from I don't know whatever part of Tip sees the young fella who played under fourteen with the crowd down the road. You know, yeah. that's a hugely important thing in Munster rugby still, and it's a little thing we need to be careful of the way modern society has gone and the way uh, people communicate and travel and do different things. That things are just to take things are taken for granted. But the small things that are taken for granted make a huge difference still in Irish sport and helping people be successful. Mm. And I think it's a thing that can happen any team. Um, you know, I, I might be completely uninformed. You know, you can look at even... I love hurling and football and I follow all sports and I go to everything, even small things, I'm sure. Hurling and football with the development squads Cork have, they feel they neglected it for a bit and they're bringing it back, which is great. They've done it in other counties. The same can happen in rugby. You, the minute you neglect something, the way society moves so fast today, the neglect piece accelerates out of your control rapidly. Yeah, very quickly. Yeah. And you can lose control of something that takes you ages to get it back. So for me, is the most important thing is people need to stay grounded. They need to realise where they came from. They need to realise where the success in the provinces come from. And they need to, to put a value on that rather than the glory parts of it. Mm. The glory parts will come. Mm. But I think if you if you keep those values, you must have values. If you don't have values, you don't have anything. And I think that Munster people, players, everyone need to make sure they stick to their values, know where the history of the team and everything came from in the province, and that will hopefully help them to win trophies because at the end of the day, you know, you're, you're, you're judged by what you win, mm. not by what you do. Unfortunately, that's what society demands. And you don't have any concern at all on the fact, and it's a very, very, um, very impressive-looking management ticket, but you've Van Gran and you've Larkham and you've Roundtree and you don't have a monster voice there. Now you know that's been said. Do you think that's a concern? I'm saying speaking to what you've just talked about. No, you've got to have the best people doing the best things, right? If um, you've this, like this is professional sport at an international level, so it isn't about picking some fella from each parish in the in the province. It's not that, yeah, right. Uh, the the players want the best training they can get. You may not always be able to get the best people because someone else wants them or they can pay them more or their family don't want to be there. Um, 
Look, Nilo Donovan has involved the squad and he's been there 15 or 20 years. There's loads of guys. You've had Colin McMahon in there filling in with the forwards with the academy. You've Peter Malone. There's loads of Munster fellas involved. So, you know, you can pick out small things and write on them and things like that as well and things like that. At the end of the day, you've got to do the best you can with what's available to you to make sure you get the best out, best results from the players on the field. And if all the fellas keep you can do that, happen to be for Italy, so what? If they all happen to be for Munster, so what? Mm. But at the end of the day, people today want results and all that. Everyone in Munster, including Johan, would tell you he'd love to have six more coaches for Munster and doing everything else, you know? But yeah. we've got to be a bit realistic as well, mm. you know? Um, it isn't a coincidence that Ireland have foreign coaches. It isn't a coincidence that the Irish soccer team don't have Irish coaches, you know? So we're not any different than anyone else. Mm. And... You know, if you look at, at what's going on in Ulster, Connacht and Leinster, is there any different, right? They have a few of each, they have a few of this, a bit of that. You know, so that's that's the reality of life today, and it's the same across across professional sport. But look, the ideal scenario is that you'd have 23 Munster-based players every week and that all the coaches and the fellow driving the bus, that they'd all be from down the road. But dream on, like, that's not going to happen. Well, last question. Dream on, Munster, Heineken Cup, 2008 the last success that's going for 12 years mm-hmm. since w- since Munster was even in a final how far away are Munster? Well the results over the last number of years have proved they're not far away but the quality of the opposition is rising all the time you have to admire what Saracens have done and what Leinster have done um, Saracens won the Saracens won last year and I think they won the year before they won because they were the best team in Europe full stop they're the best players mm. and you can't deny that um, so once there have been a lot of semi-finals but as I keep telling them there's, you know, there's no trophies for semi-finals but there's love, teams who love to be there lots of semi-finals before we won it but it's going to be way harder to win a European Cup now than it was when it was won before because the teams are just going to be stronger when you see what the teams in France are spending what the teams in England are spending and what they're doing is going to be way harder but Munster will never be too far off it if they get a little bit of luck. Could be sometimes getting a semi, getting a home quarter final, getting a home semi final. That could be the difference between. It mightn't be just the teams. Mm-hmm. That's the difference sometimes. And if you look at the teams that have won it, a lot of them they've all had had those home matches. And I think that uh, no, they've an exceptionally hard group this year with Racing and Saracens. So I wouldn't judge just on winning the European but it is a much harder competition to win now than when, when even when Leinster won at last it's a harder competition now mm. well in fairness whatever about this year you've achieved plenty Gareth thanks a million not at all mate. a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.